0: To the St Emlyn's podcast I'm Ian Beardsall and for the third podcast in our series taken live from the premier conference in Winchester we've got a trauma topic blast injury with Chris Hillman Chris is not only a consultant in emergency medicine at Southampton but also a doctor with the navy with experience in both Afghanistan and Iraq and he brings this wealth of experience to this talk This talk's a great introduction into how we manage patients with blast injury, something we don't see that commonly in civilian practice, and so we really need to turn to our military colleagues to get that extra bit of experience and knowledge. The Paediatric Blast Injury Field Manual, which Chris mentions at the end of his talk, you can find the link to this free resource in the show notes. Now over to Chris. We're talking about blast trauma. I am fortunate, or unfortunate enough, to have a period of my life where I work in two war zones, Iraq and Afghanistan, where I saw more blast trauma in a couple of months than happens in the UK over a long, long period. And there's lots of things we've learned from it. Blast is the top end of trauma. It's everything. It's blunt. It's penetrating. It's massive hemorrhage. It's everywhere. You see a blast go off and frag is just... So the injury severity is extremely high. Why consider it? The truth is its world is becoming more unstable at the moment. Less peer on peer conflict, lots of instability globally. And it's getting worse. We've got war in Ukraine. We're seeing Western countries coming to the aid. We unfortunately also have domestic terrorism and the Manchester bomb show that it can happen on the UK soil. So it's something which is infrequent, but absolutely devastating when it happens. So what happens in a blast? So you've got Paul Pikachu there, who's just been, explosions gone off near him, and that's a blast wave coming in here. This is a, first of all, that pressure wave which comes through. This pressure wave causes tissue damage particularly at the sort of gas liquid interfaces the lungs are particularly vulnerable and that blast can actually be severe enough to kill this is the classic thing if you hear in war stories the chap in the trench the explosion's gone off nearby and he's dead without a mark on his body and it's actually the blast wave has ripped through him and these are primary blast injuries principally we see most of the patients i saw in afghanistan had eardrums popped Then develop blast lung later on, depending on how close you are to the detonation. Second is the secondary blast injuries. The blast wave comes and hits you. It might hit your limb. It might rip the limb off, traumatically amputating it or causing significant tissue damage. You might get penetrating injury. Fragmentation wounds can be sort of peppered all over, penetrating into a body. You may actually get the hit by something from the blast itself causing severe blast trauma and also sort of the thermal hit coming out briefly through it. That's a secondary blast injury. Now Pikachu then goes flying back, hits a wall. So he's then not only had all those injuries initially, he's been being struck against the wall with significant blunt injury or penetrating injury, depending on what's, what's actually on that wall. So he's got sort of three injuries. And unfortunately Pikachu is sat there. The building these these discs been in which has exploded catches fire and might have a nuclear or a chemical or some other quaternary injury to it. So glass is is difficult because it kills and you get multiple points of injury. Multiple reasons, blunt, penetrating, burns, they have a high surgical requirement. And principally, it's not just a low-energy knife, it's high energy being transferred rapidly into a body. Also, the danger is, how many people have looked after a blast injury here? The, the numbers are low. It's unfamiliar patterns. And also, they don't come in, if you have a blast patient, do they come in one at a time? You no, know, often if we have one in the UK, you're going to be looking at multiple blast injuries together in decompensated injuries. Now, in military, we got quite okay about it. And everyone's happy with a trimodal distribution. You've sort of seen that when do you die from injuries? There's injuries that happen straight at the beginning and there's not really much we could do. And there's the people who sort of die within the first sort of hour, a golden hour. And then the people who die of infections, failure, lung problems later on. Now, in military, we can't actually quite good in those first few minutes because if you had a blast in Afghanistan, you had a soldier next to you who'd done a course, who knew how to put tourniquets, knew how to stop the bleeding, the external hemorrhage put on pelvic binders, and they were able to manage. And then we came along with fancy MERT teams with hospital, pre-hospital blood, and able to intubate early, if appropriate. we were able to manage ongoing bleeding, provide blood. And then we got to a Camp Bastion, where virtually all I looked after in those months was trauma, trauma, trauma. And you could get into a theatre within minutes. But unfortunately, civilian life, first aid up the scene, for your standard first aid are they going to know what's to do with a injury? And unfortunately, you know, the Manchester stories of people needing a tourniquet, not getting it, is unfortunate and is a factor of civilian life. We then get the system where, will emergency services be able to get in there quickly? Secondary devices, is it safe? Is there any other hazard? So often we're missing the next set of group of people because they're delayed getting to us. And then I've got a fantastic emergency department in Southampton. I love my colleagues, but it doesn't happen. And the exposure we get is minimal. Now, this is a deliberately busy side because where are you injured? That is just a short list. There's certain things which are specific to BLAST. One I pick out there would be the blast lung, which sort of worsens with the sort of ventilation. And the other thing I sort of worry about with that is the injuries that you get from small fragmentation wounds. So neck, little neck, expanding neck hematomas, a little bit of frag goes in there, takes the vessel off, expanding hematoma, compromising an airway. We all know how delicate children's airways are. These are things we need to sort of think about. So how are we going to manage? It's the C-A-B-C-D approach. It's the same basics, and if you do the basics well, you can manage these people. Tourniquets. Tourniquets are great. Tourniquets save lives. The locks, the impregnated gauze, pack the wounds, hold it. Blast, everyone talks about tourniquets, and they get very excited about where do you put a tourniquet on. And you've probably all got different ideas. Some are like, it's got to be as high as possible. It's got to be as low as possible to sort of save a limb. Reality, it's got to be wherever it stops the bleeding. Quite often with blast, if you imagine everyone's had a really nice roast leg of lamb, you know how it comes off the bone? Imagine a blast coming up the limb, lifting the tissues off, and then once the blast wave injury goes, it flaps back down. So that bleeding point could be right down the bottom, or actually could be higher because the injuries come further up the leg, so the tourniquets need to go in the point where they stop bleeding. If, they, if you put on low down, Go up if it's not stopping bleeding. The big thing is turn the tap off. Pelvic binders, especially in, in adults and the older sort of children where open book pelvic fractures are a risk. Airway. Anesthesia's love to secure the airway and it's great to have support. But these are patients who their physiology has squeezed them. They've got such a sympathetic drive. Their adrenaline's going. They're compensating, compensating, compensating. By all means, intubate them. But the big thing is, what happens when you intubate a sick patient? They can become more unstable. So you need to be able to say, if you're going to intubate them and they get more unstable, how are you going to turn the tap off? And may maybe, but you have to turn the tap off through surgery. Breathing, chest, sa- chest seals, decompression, chest strains, all the sort of standard things you will. But blast lung becomes particularly important later on. TXA. Get the TXA in. It's cheap. It's easy, give it, because there's far more microtissue damage and it's a cheap invention, we know. Most of our knowledge for blast trauma in children is limited. Most of our knowledge comes from adults and we're extrapolating to children. My RCT of blowing children up wasn't approved by ethics, obviously. <laughs> so we need to take the lessons from there. And one of those lessons is TXA. We know it saves life. Get in. Disability, neuroprotection, glucose, all the sort of things. Think about burns. It's always hemorrhage in blast. Unless it isn't. Massive transfusion policy. Know your policy. Don't attach them direct to a because we have over transfused patients in Afghanistan and Iraq. But you need to be aware that most of the time it's hemorrhage. And whole blood, the military, we're moving towards whole blood. We're not quite there yet. The evidence we're still trying to prove. But that is the future. This, if you're going to take away one slide, it would be this. We are very good, specifically in the NHS, of going, here's my resuscitation, here's my CT scan, here's my surgery. Now, get this into your sort of mindset. This is a military mindset. Surgery, damage control surgery, is part of damage control resuscitation. Sometimes, that tap needs to be turned off. And in that case, I love deploying. I have vascular surgeons who are happy to go into any body cavity and turn the tap off. But the tap needs to be done. And the, one of the easiest ways to do that, I'm not, not a surgeon, but it's proximal control. If you've got a limb which is bleeding, a high limb injury, you can't get it controlled with tourniquets and sealots. get them into theatre, get someone to put a clamp on the nearest artery and stop the bleeding. And it gives you time to catch up physiologically with your blood products. So box control is important. And unfortunately, I, it's very easy for me in Afghanistan, it's very easy for me in my surgical tent with the commandos, is that my theatre is there. My resuscitation bay is here. Where in theatre. How long does it take us to get to the theatre in Southampton? It takes a while. So think about where you're going to do. Get the key players. How, we do a command huddle. What do we need to do? What's a life-saving intervention? And also, who else needs it? Because blast patients don't come in on their own. They come with a package. Imaging. Just CT them. Frag is everywhere. It gets everywhere. CT them if they're stable enough, if you haven't had to get proximal control. Life and limb. It's the key stuff in the surgery. This isn't definitive repair. This is stopping the tap. This is shunting the blood to perfusion. This is a, a sort of a social washout at most. This isn't hours and hours and hours. You're stopping the bleeding, and then you're going to resuscitate them, resuscitate them microvascularly. You've got the clot, because you've not given them lots of salty water. You've kept the blood pressure enough to perfuse the heart and the kidneys and the brain, but now we want to then get them better. It's part of resuscitation, damage control surgery. My final two slides. One is you. I saw, for example, in my tour of Afghanistan, a 100-and-something-odd patients severely injured with high-injury severity school blasts, and all the soldiers, the Americans, the Afghans, blur into one big, massive body part. But I can remember every child, every child with real clarity. So it's going to hit you, and it's going to hit you uh, when you don't expect it. So if you are involved in a blast injury with children... Seek help. Seek advice. It will hit you when you don't expect it. But for those who are in Bristol, Paul Reevely, former, my um, colleague of, of mine, has written this pediatric blast injury field manual to try and sort of put together lessons learned from Iraq and Afghanistan. Really good. Free to download. Let's face it. Trauma is a big killer in children. One of the top three. And all we really do is one APLS station. That's not enough for such a big killer. So have a look at that. Definitely would, would, would sort of recommend it.